0: Once again, it's time for this partnership with uh, WCCO Radio and the Star Tribune editorial board. Patricia Lopez and John Rash are here. Glad to have you both here, as always. Pat, I'm going to start with you. Let's start locally this segment in Minnesota, then we'll move to uh, what's taking place in D.C. next. We have the governor's budget. We have a very different view with the Republicans. I was joking yesterday with Tom Hauser from Channel 5. Let's already schedule the special session. Let's already schedule the second special session. What is the likelihood that these two sides, who haven't shown much respect to each other at the top, are going to reach an agreement on the budget on time and maybe even stun us, get to it even sooner, so more items actually get passed and done in St. Paul? this winter?
1: Well, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, and I think, you know, you can get as many different interpretations of when they're going to finish up as, as there are people. The important thing I think to keep in mind is that um, there there must be some headway made, however they do it. Um, and it seems that the budget that the governor has proposed is is balanced in some ways. I know the Republicans don't want to see a tax increase, but frankly, they never want to see a tax increase, and yet we have a state that's been hit very hard by this pandemic, and small businesses and families that need some help, and we know that disproportionately, wealthier people have done fairly well in this pandemic. Um, some of them have done quite well. Um, so however however, they uh, wind up compromising on this, and certainly, you know, passage of a um, Stimulus package in Washington could uh, ratchet back on the need for revenues here. But um, I, I think it's very hard to make the case that the state needs to pull back just at the time when people are needing those services because there's supposed to be a safety net. And if your safety net pulls back, then you just fall.
0: John, the, the, the safety net has to be there. Um, there's no doubt about it. It, it. It's hard to make that argument during a pandemic when so many people need that help. But you can hear this argument for Republicans where they say no matter what is taking place, when the economy is better, as it was in Minnesota during much of the Dayton regime and the Dayton administration deserves credit, and even in the first couple of years of the Walls administration, that the the budget and state government kept moving up. So same thing to you. How? I mean, it's going to be the same. I assume that we're not going to get it done. But what is the path to that compromise? And considering the animosity that's built up between walls and doubt, walls and gazelka during COVID, does that make it even less likely that we're going to reach an agreement?
2: Well, this dynamic will be debated on the merits, but behind all of that are the politics and Well, it seems like we just got out of the last election cycle, we're gearing up for the next one where the entire legislature and, of course, all constitutional state offices will be on the ballot. And so the Republicans probably believe they have incentive to hold out, even if it does go into a special session, if they can come back to voters and say, we did this with the idea of not raising your taxes. That can be a popular election year message, particularly in the regions where Republicans are resurgent in the greater Minnesota congressional district areas where they are going to need to have big majorities in order to be able to compete statewide. I imagine that the machinations happening up in at the Capitol in St. Paul will also eventually include the ongoing Uh, contentious controversy over the governor's executive authority regarding COVID-19, which, as we're all aware, the Republicans have tried to peel back on multiple occasions, been thwarted by the DFL-controlled House and the governor himself, of course. But my sense is when you ask, what will it take? I wonder if that will become, albeit not a budget item, if it becomes a political bargaining chip that enters into the discussion.
0: Well, and I would assume is, the Republicans I, will try that, right? But will Walls and his team be flexible to include that in any of the conversations?
1: I think the thing to stay focused on here is, is what is the plan? If it's not going to be his plan, then what is the other plan? Because simply saying open the schools, send the kids in to play sports without masks, that's not a plan. You know, first of all, opening the schools costs money. So where's the money going to come from? All those people that are asking to roll back – five percent you know across the board cutback. let's be real the state spends the majority of its money on in just two areas health care and education do people really want to see rollbacks in t- those two areas right now
0: um i think you could you can find republicans who will say in fact i know you can you can find hundreds of thousands who will say we're not we're not calling exactly for the 5% rollback. Rollback. We're not calling, we're trying to slow down the perpetual increases that take place. John, I can the can
1: has, has said she's speaking a 5% across the board cut?
0: Yeah, Rosen is for sure. Right. But, but others are not. I mean, Patricia's 100% right on Julie Rosen. Can, I don't know on the PR side, John, if they can, I don't see any scenario where they win on the 5%. But can they win, John? I just we're trying to slow down the growth, the government. And is that enough in the argument, considering what's taking place right now?
2: Part of it depends on who's making the argument and who seems to be leading the party. Certainly, you know, the strong showing statewide of many Republicans in the last election suggests that they have many open ears to that argument. And, you know, if they pivot, as you just mentioned, Chad, from cutting back to we're trying to reduce the growth of government spending. That's a different dynamic and will be received differently by the electorate. So I think so much depends on what happens with the machinations. I do think, and if you look at it, though, as an overview, the public often doesn't get overly deep into what the proposals, counter proposals, what specifically is happening They want to see a functioning government, particularly in a pandemic. Patricia is quite right that the vast majority of spending goes towards education and health care. And if there's a sense that the government could shut down or that there can't be any kind of an agreement on those really essential issues, that's going to be something that the, the public will not react well to. Who they blame that on then depends on the narrative of what's happening uh, in St. Paul specifically, it's too early to discern that, but uh, there is incentive for both parties to at least appear to the vast majority of Minnesotans that they can and will work together in a true national emergency that the, that the United States and, of course, the world is having at this point.
1: I'll, I'll tell you one real trouble spot, Chad, and that is that um You know, if you're going to ask for more money, then you have to be effective in how you use it. And right now, Minnesota is so far behind in its vaccination rate. It's really kind of stunning. I was looking at a Washington Post uh, vaccination tracker um, just before I got on here, and there have been 19 million vaccinated across the state, the country, 44 million doses. Minnesota is far behind the Dakotas. We're at 5%. West Virginia is at 10%. North Dakota is at 7%. Now, I know they're trying to catch up, but if you're going to ask for, money, for more money, I think they need to show how they're going to get maximum numbers of vaccinations in people's arms across this state in really rapid fashion.
0: I'm glad you raised that, Pat. Um, who's to blame for that? Is this the Walls administration? Is this the information they were getting from the federal government? It's the money wasn't there. Because well, you're 100% right. We're it's, way behind.
1: Yeah, it's, it's actual vaccinations. I, I don't know. Was, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around. Certainly, you know, the Trump administration didn't make it easy for the states. The states have had some, you know, figuring out to do. Uh, I mean, but obviously some have figured it out a little better than others. Yeah, so whoever's sure. to blame, they need to get going on um, vaccinating people, um, you know, more rapidly than they have. I mean, utilize retired nurses, utilize medical students. Open up community centers. Whatever it is you have to do, they should be doing it.
0: Let's pause right here. Look to D.C. impeachment and then uh, at the national level on the vaccination conversation. More with Pat Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune here on CCO. The latest construction time is 151. Time to see if your home's windows and insulation are as energy efficient as they could be. So we finished last segment on vaccine numbers and where Minnesota ranks, and it's uh, it's woeful. And and for me personally, I think the governor has to take a, a large part of that blame, much like Donald Trump and the previous administration, what they set up. They have to own plenty of the blame. John, let me start with you. The Biden administration, uh, when they came up with some initial numbers about how many vaccines, there was some pretty strong pushback saying it's really not that much more than the Trump administration. This is a little bit different than you told us. They announced yesterday they were going to find a way to buy 200 million more uh, doses. They're talking about now that in August they believe 300 million people uh, can be vaccinated. They had a teleconference, which was out on all the cable networks today for a long period of time. Where are we at now? Because it's still awfully, awfully early of the Biden responsibility and when it's fair to they're still inheriting a lot of this and we got to give them a little more lead time before you say okay you now own it it's your administration
2: there's two timelines in what we're discussing here one is you're quite right in what patricia was describing with the state of minnesota as well in terms of the rollout and the disorganization as it appears nationally and certainly in the state of minnesota is something that is deeply disappointing and highly reflective of the entire failed response by the nation relative to what it could have been regarding COVID-19. The other aspect is, compared to diagnosis of it just about a year ago, the fact that the question is, how soon can you get the hundreds of millions of vaccines out to America? is almost a medical miracle in terms of how quick they've done that. And if indeed the nation, although this seems achingly far away at this point, but has enough for every person who is willing to get vaccinated by August, relative to the speed at which they initially thought that it may happen, that is extraordinary progress. Credit to the scientists and to the very hardworking government officials however messy the process has been we are hopefully going to get that taken care of. But in the meantime, there has been, should be, and there's a constructive role for criticism in the speed and pace and organization of how this is done.
0: How about you, Pat?
1: Well, I, um, I think, uh, constructive criticism is fine. Um, I just think the need is so urgent to move ahead I just want to see us take a really clear-eyed look without um, a lot of unnecessary drama at where the weaknesses are, where we need to shore it up, um, big, innovative thinking about how to do this monumental task of vaccinating, you know, everyone in sight, really. Uh, At some point, it's going to have to be almost everyone unless we don't care about some people getting uh, sick. And that is the main task. And everything else is just a distraction.
0: Pat, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, yesterday, we had 48 Republican senators say an impeachment trial. Of the president is not constitutional since he's left office. I think they're clearly factually wrong, but that, that's my it's opinion.
1: Constitutional it has been done, not to presidents, yep. but to other high-ranking officials. Yeah,
0: Ab- absolutely. But now that we know where 45 stand,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we we know where this is headed. We know, I mean, there are many people like myself included who believe the president did commit commit an impeachable offense. It wasn't just that day. It was months no. and months to the lead up. But, but it doesn't appear we're going to get to the 67. There, there are some people who are even Democrats who are saying, if you don't get to the 67, you're just going to give Donald Trump another victory. And is it worth it? When you hear that line of thinking, what do you say?
1: Uh, Well, my first thought is that if you can't convict for the kind of things that he is accused of and has credible evidence for, then I don't know why we have impeachment and conviction built in. If you're not going to say that there are consequences um, for actions that are most likely illegal, then I I don't know how we hold future presidents accountable. All they have to do is wait till the end of their term and you know, then by the time we're giving them one more chance and, um, you know, waiting till the end, and then we throw up our hands and say, oh, it's too late. I, that, that just doesn't seem like it comports with American um, values, American justice, and expectations of no one being above the law. So I do think I, I've been shocked to see that not only are they um, saying they're not the votes for conviction, but not even for censure, you know, which is so mild, I, I can't even imagine that they would be willing to let him just completely skate on what we are seeing growing evidence for was an actual attempted coup, you know, to stop um, a dual election that was certified by every state in the nation.
0: John, I got about a minute. What do you say? That impeachment is not a
2: legal, but a political process. And the politicians who won't hold the president to account are wrong. You can see that in real time, and history will especially prove that. And I think even in the next year or so, when more and more comes out about what was said and what was done, and the attempts to overturn this election, not holding him to account will look even worse. So even though it looks highly unlikely that the Senate will convict him, they certainly should go forward with the process. And. Those senators voting out of their conviction, as Senate Majority Leader McConnell said at the time, should indeed hold the president to account. It's the American way. It sends the right signal domestically and certainly internationally as well.
0: I got to jump in. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Excellent stuff as always. Thank you. Pat Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune.